This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can show your support on patreon.com slash toadsanime and get four early episodes a month for just a few bucks. Plus it helps Ryan buy Digimon toys. Alternatively, spend it on something more important. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Toad on Games podcast. The only podcast in the world where I start every episode with this bit and have absolutely no idea how to follow it on. Um, <laughs> with me today, I have Tasselfoot. Um, do you maybe want to say hello and a teeny bit about who you are and what you've done? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, I'm Tasselfoot, uh, aka Tass. Uh, I have been in the games industry for... 15 years now working pretty much exclusively in web games, historically Flash, but since Flash is now dead, we'll just lump everything together as web games. Uh, I ran a website called Flash Flash Revolution from about 2006 to 2009. Uh, I made walkthrough videos, tutorials on how to beat Flash games on YouTube in the early YouTube days from about 2009 to 2012. And since then I've worked for Armor Games and Armor Games Studios running the website, uh, and also helping out on our production of premium games as a indie publisher, uh, overseeing QA efforts. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. It, it was when I, I sort of take notes preliminary for all these. And when I was taking notes, I was like, you have actually done like a lot of different things and a lot of different areas. Um, which is always super cool. It's always really cool. when I'm talking to someone and it's sort of just, I have done this. I'm like, okay, great. We have to talk about that for 45 minutes. So actually, in fact, you've got like, I've got like a list of like 10 different things where it's sick. This could easily be like a three-hour podcast. I, I I don't know. I try to make it easy to talk about myself. What can I say? <laughs> I also like how um before we started recording this, you were saying that just calling you Tasselfoot is fine. It's like an OG internet name. Um yes, which so- I love. It uh yeah my when I worked for Flash Rush Revolution um the the owner of the company like basically had a policy of never calling anyone by their full name uh dude named Synthlight so I won't use his his real name and everybody called him Synth and every he just called me Tass and everyone called me Tass and another guy went by you know LD like as an abbreviation of his username and so like literally even when we met in person and we had like company meetings and get-togethers always just used uh, everybody's username. Uh, and I've gone by the Tasselfoot username since I was like 16. So like 2000, uh, ears. Um, and so, yeah. And then I, I switched and worked for myself and stayed, stayed with it because that was like my moniker that I knew and I was able to promote mm-hmm. myself. And then I came to armor and it was like, all right, well, I'll just keep doing this, keep using the same name because again, internet business and yeah. And it's very yeah. confusing. Like I, I deal with like Google and Facebook reps and like, what should we call you sort of a thing? <laughs> like corporate, corporate culture doesn't understand how to handle it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't take things too seriously. We make video games for a living. Like, come on. Exactly. Yeah. My, my work um, at my main full-time role, my job title is um, head of saying stuff. And everyone always picks up on that whenever I do interviews or anything. Like, what is that? I'm like, well, I'm not going to call myself like head of PR and communications and marketing because <laughs> it's it's video games. Like, I want a somewhat interesting title. If I, I can I completely appreciate someone else who has a uh, a bullshit sort of title because my <laughs> um my my title at Armor for years has been Game Wizard. Um, yeah. But recently, I got a promotion. I am now Master Game Wizard. Oh, so yeah, I leveled up, um, and and my assistant is an adept game wizard. So you know she hasn't made it to the full status of game wizard, 
but but yeah. she's working on it. She's she has uh, years of training ahead of her still. Needs to learn some more spells. That's uh, yeah, it's funny. I know Jupiter Hadley who does stuff with uh, Armor Games, and she has some sort of similar title there. Yeah, she's her. she's my assistant. <laughs> oh right, yes, okay. Yeah, <laughs> she, I don't think, exactly. I don't think she knows we're doing this. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's wizard something, which is awesome. But yeah, I, I understand that. Um, even on the online handle thing, my online handle is Toads Anime, which has absolutely zero connection to what I do online anymore. But it's just I have been using it since I was eleven. I simply can't change it anymore. I don't even talk about anime. Anime is in my name, and it's I work in games. Um, too late now, though. Yeah, it's, it, it becomes like who you are. I mean, I, I yeah. have a I have a tattoo of my avatar on my arm at this point. Like that's how ingrained it is to me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that perhaps only people that have been involved in internet culture for the last 10, 20 years, I suppose, understand. Is that like our online handles and our online identities are. I mean, I identify with 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 my online handle. With, like, if I this is such a weird explanation, but if I look at it written down, it's in my mind. It's like I'm reading my own name. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah, it, for sure. I I got it. Like I've, I mean, I I didn't go ahead with it, but I was definitely considering changing my name legally to to Tassel. Oh wow! And I was just like, no. Trying to explain that to my parents and like the paperwork involved with it, it would just yeah. be too much effort. It would be way too much. I, it's good as it is. I, I can stay who I am in the real world. Everybody in like Twitter and games industry, and they know me uh, as Tass, and that's fine. I absolutely appreciate the uh, appreciate the effort, though. Um, I guess for, for for most of this, obviously, we're going to be talking about flash games and stuff. Um, so I guess to start with the flash flash revolution thing, um, I don't know why, but in my head, I was like expecting that to be some sort of um, uh, like flash pre- preservation project or something. I don't know why, but it's 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 literally a flash based version of DDR. And that is still going strong. That's been going... I mean, if you started... You were working there from 2006. Yep. So it's been going a long time. Yeah, it was It was first founded in 2002. Um, and by that standard of, like, t- 2002 Flash, it was insanely advanced. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what else was going on there, but I can't imagine that there was anything else Flash game related that was made that early on that was as advanced um and and complex and it, yeah the fact that it's it's been coming up on almost 20 years now that it's been going and it's still going strong um post flash because they have a downloadable client and everything to inter- interface with their servers now that flash doesn't exist but right um yeah it's been actively developed and continued for 20 years like uh it's i i that that community and that that game like just got me so started because I started as a user. I joined it as a community, two thousand and three because uh, I dated someone who was into DDR, but I didn't want to like actually exercise and use my feet. So uh, I found I found Flash Revolution FFR uh, and like and I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed rhythm gaming in in a time where rhythm gaming wasn't mainstreamed yet, like Guitar Hero and Rock Band wouldn't come out for another, what, four years, five years, some, probably about four, I guess four, kind of mainstream. And so you had DDR, you had like some Beat Mania type stuff, but it, that that definitely was not mainstream. And I, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was like a large community at the time and I volunteered a lot and that turned into eventually a job. 
uh, of like kind of overseeing the community, which there was video chats and there was like MySpace profiles style stuff going on at the time. And, and um, we released new levels uh, all the time. And, of you know, unlike most places, we made sure that we had permission for everything that we used. So like all of our music was licensed and still is to this day um, mm -hmm. licensed on the content. I mean, they have a couple thousand official songs at this point and, and a whole bunch of unofficial stuff. So very nostalgic. I went back to it about six months ago and maybe eight months ago. I don't know. Sometime during the pandemic time, time is meaningless anymore. <laughs> um, and, and spent like two months just, just really playing it almost every day again and, and had a lot of fun getting back into it. But my old man hands just like can't keep up with the super fast paced stuff anymore. Sadly. <laughs> Yeah, is this was this um because I guess it's now downloadable. So how is it kept like updated or is it is it connected to the internet the download? So it's it's all it's yeah, the client basically is just like a server interface. So um right. all the levels like so it's all still flash. Like it's still uh swift files for every individual. At least I assume it is since I'm not involved with it, but um like each level had its own swift file and those would be uploaded on the server and then the like client frame whether that was interfaced from a flash uh in browser or now through the client um like you log in still and you have to be logged in to play and then you would uh play the song and it would download the song like in the real time and each you know the majority of the file space would of the download was the song so you're talking like two three four megabytes for a song so very very fast loads on there the the data for the note chart is like just you know it, it's text so uh mm. you're talking two two kilobytes sort of stuff of data on the oh, like, right. actual note chart side so it's like 99 percent of it's just downloading getting the mp3 that's baked into the swift file hmm. was this um was this around at the same time as step mania or was step mania later step mania predates it actually step mania oh. uh i think was 2001 when it first came out uh so very ingrained communities between step mania and ffr um like the creation of all of the the note charts for the songs was done in step mania and then uh we had a converter that would export the the files from like their format to our format sort of a stuff um but so yeah like very very similar uh just one would be step mania was like a full download of everything um mm. for an offline and, and i think what made ffr special was the community aspect and the data that we collected around it and made available to the players like literally everything you wanted to know about your ability to play both on a per chart basis and a like globally basis um was stored publicly available and ranked so it became like very competitive if you wanted it to be uh plus like a number of different profile systems we had we had the you know the, the actual profile like myspace we had a chat baked into it we had a video chat system that was separate uh really active forums at the time um just tons of different ways for the community to be involved in whatever way that they wanted to be involved in. Yeah, that's what's really cool about it. And I guess back in the day, it, it was because it was so... Was it browser-based? Like, could you actually just play it in the browser or was it always a download? No, it. it I, I don't know when they actually came out with the download. Sometime uh, long after I left. No, when I when I was doing it, it was 100% in the browser only. Right. Which I guess gave it a leg up over Step Menu as well because it was just so much more accessible. 
Exactly. You didn't have to download anything. You didn't have to have your library of songs downloaded, like literally nothing. Just load the browser. And, and that's that's what made Flash games amazing in general, like not limited just to FFR, but why sites like Armor Games or Congregate or Addicting, Newgrounds, Miniclip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were all so massively popular, especially in schools. Uh, was because you could have your free period and just log on to the computer mm. in a library and boom, you could play a game for a half an hour and maybe even beat it because the Flash games were such bite-sized experiences. Mm. Or shouldn't be talking yeah. about them in past times. <laughs> but that's, that's more or less my history with, with Flash games as well. It's, um, you know, primarily I was in secondary school. I started secondary school in like 2004. So I was in that prime time where uh, everyone at breaks and, and, and stuff would, sit and play random flash games on Newgrounds and Miniclip and, and, and all these sites. Yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting when we talk about, when we're talking about flash flash revolution, it sounds actually quite complex for its time, especially being flash based. When I imagine most people listening to this, if they think of flash, they are thinking of those very quick five minute kind of games on Miniclip that you play and forget about. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and that's what I was, I was mentioning is that like the, the more complex flash stuff really started to come around. I feel like more in 2008 to 2012, I think was really like the peak era of incredibly well-made and deep and complex flash games. And FFR came out in 2002. Uh, I think it was just, it was so far ahead of its time and so far ahead of anything else in terms of its overall complexity as a Flash-based game, um, especially with its its backend work and, and servers in order to connect to actually play all of the content. Yeah, it seems like a crazy amount of work has gone into it. Um, and and thank goodness it's been like preserved, that it's still playable, because as someone that focuses on the preservation of games, and I, I, I don't believe that any game is discardable, I think everyone has some history with every single game, um, Obviously, the, the 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 death of Flash that was coming was of great concern to me. I was super super worried about that. But it kind of looks like the Flash community kind of rallied around that and has done a pretty decent job of, of preserving it all. Yeah, I mean, I think there have been a number of a number of different preservation efforts um, that have all kind of tackled the problem in a different way. Uh, from Flashpoint, in terms of basically just making a giant giant downloadable. Um, an offline experience. I think it's like two or three terabytes of Flash mm. Swifts playable. Um, and, and that was that's a Herculean effort that went into it. Um, technologies like Ruffle, which is what um, Armor Games is using to kind of real-time emulate in browser uh, to kind of keep that seamless experience of no installs, no downloads needed, but you can still just go hit the website and you can play the game. Um, it's, it's, it's there. It's not amazing. You can't play everything. Um, but armor was able to preserve almost 800 of our 3,700 flat legacy flash games, uh, and keep them playable like today with mm. hopefully making more of them available over time as ruffle continues to, um, be developed and improve. Uh, there are also stuff, there have been some stuff like uh, the Newgrounds player or Supernova player, which kind of package Flash as a browser extension or as a, like a plugin install um, so that you can kind of access and play games in a client um, off of the website 
so that's that's another way that they've been done. Um, uh, Congregate worked with a I forget the name of it, but a, a preservation and, and, a, and an archive museum. Uh, I don't know if it's like the Museum of Games or, or something similar to that in New York State mm -hmm. um, to kind of just have like a, a download and repository um, and preservation of like all of their 100,000 uh, games that they've had over the years. Because nobody has a quality or a quantity of games on their site like Congregate does. So um, them being able to preserve their full library is is definitely really crucial. Yeah, that's that's a, it's such a huge effort. Like I've been I've been seeing the preservation effort all over the place with you know Newgrounds is player and the downloadable options you you've mentioned and it's it's it 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 brought me great joy because obviously there are so many games I do not want to lose personally, but just as I say, thinking that thinking that uh, I view all games of having some uh, historical permanence to them. So to see that they've been preserved. I suppose the point I was going to say is what I was going to ask how Armor Games works now, but I guess it is all still Flash-based then, but just, I mean, in an emulated -y kind of way. Uh, so, I mean, we shifted kind of as a business model, like from purely Flash to now it's purely HTML5. Um, right. And, and there was kind of between 2015 and now we started accepting HTML5 and like Unity WebGL type content. Um five or six years ago. And over time, we would, we've gotten more and more HTML and less and less Flash to where uh, in probably mid to late 2018, we basically shut off any new Flash games. There weren't many that were being um, av made available to us anyway. But um, so now, I mean, we still release new games every week, um, mostly through the efforts of Jupiter. But yeah, the legacy of the 3,700 Flash games that we had over the years dating back to 2007 and before we still have all of them almost 800 of them are remain playable uh through ruffle which does the simplified version is it emulates flash using html5 and mm. the games are playable they're not perfect uh but they're playable and that technology will continue and improve it'll continue to get optimized so that performance is better so that um, more technology is available because um, Flash is kind of split in terms of how it was programmed, whether it was programmed in AS1 or AS2, act, that's ActionScript, which is the programming language of Flash, versus AS3. Um, and AS1 and AS2 are kind of handled in one way, and AS3 is handled in a different way. Um, and so currently, Ruffle only works with ActionScript 2 and doesn't work with anything that is ActionScript 3. So that's one of the big things that uh, if and when they get that working with AS3, it should open up uh, a large number of additional titles that we have on the website that just have no chance of working currently. Right. Yeah. But in general, our philosophy uh, always has been and kind of continues to remain to be, we don't want our users to install anything. That's That's always been the experience that we want. So um, we've never accepted games that are client only and have, they have to install like through the, the browser and then play off, off site, um, everything we want. And so even when this, the, you know, might, more games might wind up being available through a plugin, um, or extension that would have to be installed. Uh, we just, we just don't want our users to have to do that. That goes kind of against what we feel that web games should always be. So we're willing to offer less of our games to make sure we 
uh, provide the user experience that we always have and want to continue providing, which is purely in-browser with no third-party installs of anything. Yeah, that makes sense that you want to keep it as as accessible to, to anyone that comes by as possible. Do you find that people are still actively wanting to play those old Flash games, or is it just sort of there as a like preservation thing? No, oh, it's it's 100% people are upset that they can't play those games anymore. Oh, right. um, you know, it's it's surprising to me how many people aren't aware that this was coming. Um, but I guess if, you know, I look at it from a, a perspective of, of having worked in this being my job and day-to-day life for years and years and years, and, you know, I guess if, if you're still... Uh, you know, I guess in school now, and you've been just playing games, you might not be paying attention or aware to it. You might see the warnings that pop up um, saying, you know, hey, something's happening, click accept, and then your game works again. Um, but but yeah, we've we've gotten, um, you know, we had a very, very pos- surprisingly positive um, reception to our plan in terms of like what we were going to do, how we were going to roll it out, um, which we tried to make as open and as accessible to the user base as possible ahead of time. So we put out like a blog post in December about it. Um, but even still like on January 12th, which was kind of the, the death day of flash when, and then, so our response with that is we, we kind of removed all of the games that, that wouldn't work at that point. Uh, we did get a number of comments and forum posts and support emails asking like, Hey, where did these all these games go that I love and was looking to play? Like, what's going on mm. with this? Um, you know, at which point, you know, there's nothing we can do. Like, it's it's been three years that Adobe put this this notice out, and the browsers all kind of collectively put out their plan to uh, sunset and ramp down Flash. But we we are the the face that they know how to interact with, and so we're the ones that that get the ire mm. from it, and we just kind of have to explain to them that you know, hey, we're we're hoping that that we're going to be able to get these back to you, and confident that sooner or later you'll be able to play these again. Like we still have your data; it's not going anywhere. If you purchase any items in these games, uh, they're still going to be there, you know, when when you come back to them. Um, but there's nothing we can do to to fix it right now for you. So, but yeah, it's, it's it, those games have Im- immense amounts of of legacy and nostalgia and love from from players. Like it's 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 sad and disappointing that we're not able to have those games available. But at the same time, I love that there's so much passion around them. That people that some of these games have been out for 13 years, and like people are still like I. I why can't I play this game that's been out for 13 years that I've played 20 times before, but I just want to keep playing it and it's not mm. here anymore. Uh, and I, I, that passion is great. Yeah. And that's why I think it's, it's important that like pretty much every game is preserved in some way. I guess it's, it's interesting to me that as you say, you and I, and I and imagine a lot of people listening knew for a very long time that that was happening for flash but we're kind of in this bubble and I guess a lot of people that use your site or other sites or play flash games elsewhere. I mean, they are coming to you assuming you've just taken the game down, that it's just gone or that it's your decision and you've just decided to remove it. Like they don't, they don't understand. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Don't, they might even know what flash is. Yep. Oh yeah. It's definitely uh, a battle in terms of, of trying to make sure that we 
put out our notices and put out uh, our wording. You know, we spent a lot of time internally discussing like how we were going to ramp it down, how we were going to put our notification out to the players, how we were going to um, put notif on the page. So we actually decided that while the so the pages so like take for uh, example um, Kingdom Rush, which is a very very popular mm -hmm. tower defense game, like kind of revolutionized the genre of yeah. tower defense from what it had been previously. Um, it's not playable anymore right now, and like if you search for the game on our site, it doesn't come up. However, if you like had bookmarked the direct URL. Because, uh, you know, maybe you just went straight to the game. You didn't go to our homepage and search for it, or you didn't have it as a favorite on your profile on our site, but you went straight mm -hmm. to the page. The page is still live, actually. Um, and so there's just a message on there kind of explaining, and it links to our blog post saying, like, you know, hey, Flash doesn't, doesn't work right now. We're hopeful it comes back. Um, but we also, we kept our, our comment system on the page active. So if you wanted to, like, put down a digital version of flowers at the grave site that's currently there on that page, you can go there, you can visit, you can still talk with other people who are fans and passionate about the game and reminisce. I, I don't know if anyone is, is like gung ho and actively doing that, but it was something that we talked about and felt that it was important to keep active so that, you know, people could still discuss or maybe Maybe people had com little communities that they had only through the game page and they had no way to communicate with each other otherwise. And maybe now they can take it to Discord or something like that. Like we just wanted to make sure that, that those pages still lived, even though the games aren't playable. Um, but while still making it like a, a good user experience on the site, like you don't, you don't want someone to search on the website and then go to the page only for it to not work. So um, you do kind of like have to know that the page is the URL directly. Those were the little things that, that we tried to do in, in our efforts to make sure that the user experience is maintained as much as possible. And I love that you have. I love that, you you know, it's, it's clear that uh, from a user standpoint that the Armour Games actually cares <laughs> about about its game, about its games and about its users as opposed to just, well, that doesn't work, remove them, let's move on, let's not talk about it. Like you've actually made an effort to maintain the game pages and stuff and yeah, the fact that you've sort of considered all that sort of stuff is, is awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Um, we've, we've tried another, I mean, another thing that, that we're trying to do is, um, migrate certain titles, um, outside of flash. So I, we, we didn't touch on it at all, but I guess one of the other preservation methods is conversion. Um, mm. so you can take flash games and you can port them or convert them to, to HTML five and, Kind of, I think if you're if you're just a, a random player of games, they're like, oh, well, that's probably really easy. Why don't you just like run it through the converting machine and it'll just spit out the new game in, in the new format, right? Like that's that's totally how that's going to work in games. Um, but yeah, it doesn't actually work that way. And porting is and it is just labor intensive. You're basically recreating the whole game from scratch in a new language, in a new a new format, in a new mm. engine. Um, and we decided that we just, we didn't want to do that. So uh, there are definitely companies and there are other sites who that was their method of preservation. Um, I, I know, I know a couple of sites that they converted, they, they hired teams and they converted all of their games from flash oh, to wow. HTML. Uh, and just, that is just a massive undertaking 
um, to, to do, but you know, uh, that's, that's definitely the best way if you were going to do it, but it, you literally have to do it one game at a time, each one and port them from scratch. Um, mm. So instead of that, we're looking in ways that we can port them to newer platforms. So we're looking at Steam as, as mostly as a way to kind of preserve and legacy and make um, some of these games that are going to be a little more challenging to provide back in a web format um, available onto a new platform for players to enjoy uh, that will definitely continue to work. And so we've, we've taken a couple of our games and ported them uh, to Steam already, and we're kind of in the early phases of, of trying to work on some other ones to bring them to Steam as well. Um, that will hopefully be a not cost prohibitive way of, of re-accessing and, and getting some games back in a more current format. Yeah, and that's good to hear. I mean, I, I'm always up for things being ported and, and made more accessible through whoever, whatever means necessary. So that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I like how uh, I like how sort of multifaceted you are within like the Flash community. Like you touched on it earlier about how you used to make flesh game walkthroughs yep i've almost certainly probably watched some of yours because i've definitely watched i mean i have i've, I've definitely watched some flesh game walkthroughs in the past um yeah. and you said i mean i think you mentioned either before or, or before we were speaking on the podcast it has like in total that you, they, they obtained like over 250 million views yeah yeah so yeah Smash. i'm 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 sure you probably have if you have watched flash game walkthroughs especially if you clicked on a link from in the game itself a hundred percent than you must, because that was my business model. Um, I pretty, I, I didn't invent it, but I definitely pushed it very hard. Um, so I, I started into that where I just liked playing games on Congregate. I liked achievement hunting, it, their version badge hunting on Congregate. Um, and we kind of, we created from a lot of the Flash Flash Revolution people kind of migrated over to uh, achievement hunting, badge hunting on Congregate, and we created our own separate community there. Um, and I spent a lot of time doing that at multiple different points. I wind up, I wound up having all badges on Congregate, um, which was not easy to do. But I also wanted to help. I wanted to give back and like help other people be able to achieve and get those badges. Um, so I started writing text guides for games and I just found it to be really, really time intensive. I thought I found it hard to give appropriate amounts of detail and explain through text what to do in a lot of the games. Um, so I thought it would be both faster as well as a better explanation to just record video. Now in late 2007, early 2008, it was not easy to screen record. Like there was no just OBS where that freely available to one click your way into getting your screen and audio captured with like perfect quality. It was incredibly difficult. There was really weird and kind of shady programs out there. Like none of the, none of the free options were any good. So I wound up spending like a bunch of time trialing out and eventually buying a couple of different like paid screen recorders back then um, and got like high quality footage and like edited it all up because watching someone's let's play that they're trying to pass off as a walkthrough is just 
like trying to pull your fingernails out. Like you want to find what the answer is. And the person you're watching doesn't know what the answer is either. So that was kind of mm -hmm. like what my model when I was trying to create this was the, as in terms of creating a walkthrough was that it, it needs, it's almost like a speed run, which I got into more recently, but basically you're trying to create something that is going to be digestible, easy to follow, few to no mistakes, but also still clearly showcases what to do. Um, and then at the time, YouTube had annotations that you could add inside the video. They don't have that anymore, which wound yeah. up being a problem because um, like tons of my videos had annotations that explained things that weren't obvious within the video itself. And then they all disappeared. But, um, you know, that's a that's a different problem. Um, so I just started doing that. I started making videos to like all of these different early games and like because I, I had tons of free time, as soon as a game would come out, I would play it, I would beat it play it like two more times, get good at it, and then make a walkthrough. And like within a day of it coming out, I would release a video. Uh, and then I was living very close to Armor Games' corporate office. Uh, and I beat uh, now one of my good friend, John Cooney, aka uh, JMTB02, who is like the, to me, the OG, the GOAT of all time Flash game developers. Um, like if, if you haven't played a JMTB02 game, then you can't consider yourself a Flash gamer. He, the dude's made like 80 games um, and they're all amazing. Mo well, almost all of them. He, he knows which ones are, but I, I won't call him out on that. Um, and he, he released a game called Achievement Unlocked. And there was an achievement, like one of the achievements, because you basically had to get 100 achievements and there was a timer. And one of the achievements was like, play the game for five minutes. So within like three hours of the game came, in, came out, I released a video of me beating the game in like three and a half minutes and then just waiting for 90 seconds for the last achievement to trigger. <laughs> um, and, and John, and John saw it and he, he messages me and he's like, Hey, I'm going to change this. Cause this isn't good game design. Um, thank you for pointing this out sort of a thing. And, and that video is still up on YouTube. That's still, still there with my like 500 minute. And so, so within the first day he patched it, I think he, he lowered it to like one minute or something. Um, and now the speed runs actually for that game are almost approaching one minute, which is crazy. But I, I use that as an opportunity to be like, Hey, I, I live really close to your office. Can I like come and, and talk to you? I have an idea. Uh, and so John and, and the owner of armor, Dan McNeely, they're like, yeah, I came down and, and met with them and was like, Hey, I want to make walkthroughs for your games. Like, let me have access to them before they're released i'll make videos for them and then i will release them in conjunction with the games and i will give you the videos to embed on your website put a link to them in your game that says walkthrough and then that will link to your website and it'll have an embed of my video you'll get traffic because that will go out that was how that's how flash games worked they worked on piracy which we haven't talked on but i i absolutely love that the flash game business model was we want everyone to pirate our game and that will then result in more traffic to our website. That, that mm. was the basis of the business model behind Flash games, which is like counterintuitive to every single other, like, could you imagine the music industry? If, if yeah. that was their business model, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I remember them being embeddable on websites and stuff. Yeah, so like thousands of little Flash game websites would steal our games, which we allowed them to do, but then they all had our like links to the to 
the original website. And so people would play them on other sites and they would click on the branding and it would lead them back to armor or other stuff like, you know, everyone is probably, or anyone who's again played Flash games is, is familiar with the armor games intro, the splash screen mm-hmm. with the, the sound of the, the two swords clinking. Um, yeah. And it's that, that creates brand awareness to you, but you would click on that or you would, you get stuck, you would click on the walkthrough and that would take you back to armor games website as well. And so now you're on the website, you're getting page views, there's ads on the page. Maybe you stay on the mm-hmm. website and play games. And that was user acquisition was the game itself on spreading onto other sites. But so that's how I marketed my service as creating walkthroughs was I'm going to do this um, for minimal cost. Eventually I made it, I made it free, but I started out trying to trying to charge for my service um, mm-hmm. and I'll get ad revenue from inside the, the YouTube video itself. You'll get ad revenue and clicks and traffic and everybody wins. Uh, and so that's mm-hmm. what I did for like three years making walkthroughs. And I, I did that with uh, the, the vast majority of the flash game portals out there is I had these deals with them. So I would get access to the games early and make the videos and everybody, uh, everybody wor- uh, got successful off of it. I, I hope, I hope they all got successful. It worked, it worked <laughs> for me. Uh, I got, yeah, like 250 million views out of it, which is, which is insane. Um, yeah. The, the flip side to it, and so, you know, you said you watch the, the videos and, you know, mine or other people's, I, my, my personal inner struggle and turmoil is that I, I'm a firm believer in, like, challenge and beating stuff on your own and figuring things out and, like, getting that accomplishment. By the service that I was providing, I was diminishing that for, like, millions of people who just wanted the answer and wanted to circumvent the challenge and the process and like the reward of their own. And I felt bad about that, that like I was doing this and that I was doing it and then I was profiting off of doing this, that I was like, I was, I was making money off of allowing people to circumvent the process with that. I believed that they should be following in the first place. Um, and then, and, but then I, but then I rationalized it that if I wasn't doing it, someone else would be doing it. So mm. I almost felt, I felt like a little bit like a, like a video game, um, drug dealer. <laughs> I love that comparison. I mean, how I, how I used them anyway, was not that I would use the entire walkthrough and just copy the actions. But if I got stuck on a specific point, cause you know, I was 11 or whatever. And yeah. if I got stuck on like a specific point, I'd go and look a bit. Oh, okay. And then. I wouldn't necessarily even watch the whole thing. I would just be like, "Oh, that's how you do that." Yeah, I get it. You're you're not trying to trying to get me that long watch time to help the algorithms. Uh, <laughs> and no, I, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not calling you out or anything here. That was like legitimately the the inner struggle that I had when I was making that content was like, yeah. I wish this content wasn't successful. Is basically <laughs> like how I thought about it. I wish that this wasn't something that people consumed and wanted and needed. Um, hmm. But they did, so so I made it, uh, and I was able to make it a full time job for a couple of years. Um, but then after about 2012, kind of the is really when the the flash game industry started to decline, um, and like mobile really started to pick up, and mm-hmm. and I shifted focus away from doing that towards uh, working for Armor and kind of overseeing the release of games and and getting to be a champion for indie developers um, instead of help helping players get badges (laughs) and i but i guess that's also how you is that how you ended up knowing armor and getting into what you do now with them yeah i think you can look at it that way oh oh definitely it definitely led in a in a in a 
fairly straight path. So that was like 2009 that I first met with them and started making content. Um, and I, I helped out with some other stuff. I actually got to design a couple of games with John Cooney um, in the This is the Only Level series. And uh, that was so much fun. Um, and I've, I've gotten to do some other stuff over the years along that lines. Um, yeah, through through doing that and the walkthrough creation and then helping out doing kind of other work, helping to QA some of the Flash games that were getting made and provide feedback on them from like an outside of the company perspective um, on like a spot and contract period is definitely how I wound up getting like a, a job with the company after a couple mm -hmm. of years um, to kind of just keep doing a lot of what I had been doing spot with them, but just take it on into a, a fuller role, which I've been doing for uh, almost nine years now. And it's it's been amazing. You must have overseen so many different indie games then by now. Uh, thousands, thousands yeah. at this point. Yeah. And just I, I definitely like being able to do it. I like being able to support all of the developers who have made such amazing stuff and being being mm -hmm. able to like give them money for the the amazing thing that they've made and get it out in front of the the audience that that we've had over all of these years and just being able to to support it and we've been able to tra transition a lot of those developers from the website that we've worked with for a decade into the armor game studios side which is our indie publishing um and we've you know released games on steam and switch and xbox with those same developers, like they've grown, we've grown, uh, and continue to be able to make cool stuff together. Yeah, which is which is awesome. It's such an amazing thing to do. Um, I, I, I guess what's what's interesting to me that I've only really just considered is, in my mind, the big sort of indie boom with World of Goon Braid and stuff was sort of the first time that indie developers were really making any money. But I guess they were already doing so with Flash stuff. They were already they already were making deals with sites and, and earning money before all that. Yeah, I mean, so top Flash games in kind of that peak era, which was, I think, right around the same, like World of Goo and Braid, those were like 2008 to 2010 range, kind mm. of, I think, maybe 2008, 2009. Um, yeah, that same era was like peak Flash. Top Flash games were were garnering close to or around a hundred K. Oh, right. Okay. Like devs were making good money off of their games. Like they're not the, the ceiling that you can get now, um, out of stuff is obviously a lot higher than that. Uh, but very few and far between, but even then with the, with the flash, that wasn't, that wasn't regular. Um, but yet, but regular, like a lot of games were getting 10, 15 K for, for a, a game that we would sponsor in that era. Um, mm. was, was pretty common. Uh, there was an entire brokerage market um, behind the scenes. There was a, a company that basically created a brokerage house where devs and portals would meet and bid and to, in order to sponsor unreleased games. Right. So I think, I think most people probably, even industry people probably don't know that that was no. a thing. Um, it was yeah, called Flash Game of that. Yeah, it was Flash Game License. Um, and it was started by some early, uh, two early Flash game developers that didn't have like a good way in order to maximize the value of their games when trying to get sponsorships for them, um, which was sponsorship was kind of the, the term for publishing of a, of a web game, of a Flash game. Mm. 
so they created Flash Game License and turned it into this brokerage site so that developers could get sponsors to actually bid and, you know, maximize the value of their games. And that became yeah. kind of the main the main medium for where you where we would go and, and devs would go for buying and selling for a number of years until 2014, 2015 sort of era. Right. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've literally never even heard of that. Um, that's interesting. It's also interesting what you mentioned earlier about sort of uh, your user acquisition was um, about piracy, about like giving it uh, other sites uploading your stuff. Because I had always wondered how that worked. Because obviously back in the day, I would use like random flash sites and they would have armor game stuff. They'd have congregate stuff and i wondered how all that worked and that makes sense now that i think about it it was because you click through and you go to these websites so yeah, yeah so like uh some i mean some sites would do like paid user acquisition through google links and content um that's kind of more traditional ad ad web user acquisition um armor games never did that our our sole method of user acquisition was through the games themselves so you know mm -hmm. we would we would spend a lot of money on sponsoring these games um and just getting them out everywhere. Uh, and because we would always release tons of games and they were always really good games, all of these other sites would always be checking our site to get to steal and grab the, the newest, latest and greatest Flash games so that they could have them themselves on their site. So uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's such a weird model where, you know, and, and then it was always on the sponsor to recoup the cost. Like we were incurring all of the risk hmm. of, you know, because you would pay up front and bid for what you thought the value of this game was in terms of the traffic that you would get back from releasing it. And then it was on you to as the site to like actually be able to recoup that value. It was it was it was, it was weird. It was a very interest interesting industry, but I, I absolutely love it. I wish I wish that there was a way to have some sort of a resurgence with it, but I think I think with the dominance that mobile has, um it's unlikely that we're going to go back to the simpler times of of web games under html but i can dream <laughs> you can dream and I, I guess before we wrap up as well actually we should i mean you co-developed never give up i mean it feels very flash inspired yeah so never give up started as two flash games called give up and give up two um and kind of the the trick in the mechanic behind the whole thing is that it has iterative level design um, so the original games each have 40 levels and they basically have four sets of 10 iterative levels to them, uh, mm. where you kind of, you start learning what's going on and then it changes on you and gets harder. Um, and maybe it, it kind of trolls you a little bit in that process. Um, all the while a snarky, uh, announcer is telling you to quit that you're not good at this game and you should stop playing it. Uh, with a giant, giant button on the screen that just says "give up," um, <laughs> and and basically, I, I like as a as a game designer, I like subverting players. Um, I, mm. I I I don't know. Maybe it's just me being sadistic, but I like seeing players playing my games and suffering a bit, um, or doing <laughs> things that are very meta, which is which is why I really liked the "this is the only level" um, that that. John originally created and, and how I was able to help and do most of the design for the sequels on it, because I, I really liked the way that it, it changes the meta of that. And, and I felt that Give Up as a series did, uh, a, a, what, or I set out to do a lot of that with it as well, of 
instead of in, like my goal as the designer was to get the player to stop playing the game. But at the same point, secretly, I still am a person designing stuff that likes giving players challenges and letting them succeed and be rewarded. So mm. secretly, I really don't want them actually to give up. I do. I am rooting for the player to actually succeed and beat the game. Um, so those those were like two the 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 way it started, and then we kind of expanded and we're like, hey, let's let's make this into into a full game uh, available now on PC PC platforms and Nintendo Switch. Uh, just to, to you know, not to plug or anything, but um, oh, yeah. So we created it as Never Give Up, which definitely it, it again it, it switches that role in ten and it turns it into kind of this meta journey of the character and the player as as like working together to beat the challenges. Um, is is the storyline a bit of the game and the character kind of um, will question like whether they're a character what who's controlling them are they real and do they exist sort of a thing as they're you know dying repeatedly to spikes um all to the the voice acting of ego raptor um mm. but we turned it because we didn't think we could keep it as like this flash experience of trolling players a bit and like trying to get them to give up so we turned the give up button into an accessibility feature um and so you you still kind of get this like ending quote unquote when if you press the button, um, but what it actually does as a as a design feature is it opens up the next level to the player uh, and allows them to progress and proceed. So if you die ten times on a set on a on a set of levels, it will then open up the give up button, and if you decide to press the button, you can then access the next set. So um, you know we we wanted to make a hard game that challenges players, but we also wanted to make it a an experience that people can still get through and enjoy even if they don't hmm. like or are good at really hard games uh but we wanted to keep the button because the button was so integral um but it even works with the name like we changed the name from being give up which is what we wanted out of the player to do when they play the game to never give up to so make it um, a little more encouraging and supportive of the player and like believing in them that they, they can go and, and achieve. Uh, and, and we added bosses cause you know, gotta have Everyone bosses. bosses. <laughs> uh, and the original, the original flash games didn't have a budget for bosses, but so yeah, you can, you can, uh, fight and defeat the giant rhino bat or the exposition magician who tells you, it. who tells you what your plot is an adventure is going to be. <laughs> Yeah, it does sound so like Flash inspired as well, which I love. It has like that sort of feel to it, and yeah, and it has the wonderful art of uh, James Paramain, uh Jimp, who is a classic, long, long time uh, Flash game artist, part of Massive Monster. Um, so you know, just absolutely love love Jimp uh, and Massive Monster for everything that they've done for that game for adventure pals uh and all of the flash stuff that that they've created over the years they're another amazing partner that we've we've had at armor for more than a decade yeah it's lovely to see that the, the community is still sort of connected in some fashion um with it all that's 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 always good to see um tas thank you so much for joining me do you want to maybe explain to people where they can find you or your game or all the stuff that you do and all that good things Sure. Uh, yeah. And again, thank you so much for, for having me, Ryan. Uh, 
so much fun to talk about flash games and flash always uh yeah you can find me on twitter uh slash tasselfoot it's t-a-s-s-e-l-f-o-o-t everybody always flips the e and the l um and you can buy never give up on steam uh humble gog other pc platforms as well as nintendo switch eShop. awesome yeah and for those listening the links to all that will be in the description as well for sake of ease um yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, as you say, like it's so good to be able to talk about Flash stuff. I mean, obviously, you're f- far more in the know than I am, so it's been very insightful and interesting. Yeah, uh, happy, happy to share the behind the curtains into our little niche of the games industry. Yeah, absolutely. And th- that's why I always love hearing as well, like things that people know more about me then, so I can learn and take that knowledge. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening as well, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to support this podcast, by the way, you can do so at patreon.com slash toadsanime. There is a new episode of this Toad on Games podcast every single week where I speak to a different person from the video games industry on each episode. So it's very varied. It can be YouTubers, journalists, developers, composers, all sorts. Hopefully some really interesting people that you will like. And yeah, a new episode is out every week. If you do support the podcast on Patreon, you can get access to every episode early on. I think at the moment the pledge is $3, with plus tax it's probably about $4 um, to get access early access to each episode. So that's four episodes a month, hopefully about a dollar a month basically per episode, which isn't too bad, I hope. Um, and yeah, you'll get early access on a Friday to every episode, and then they come up publicly on the Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, your support is massively appreciated, even if it is just a dollar. Um, I thank every single person at the end of each episode, which I'm going to do in a second. I always feel like I want to point this out. Maybe I shouldn't. It is very self-defeating, but I don't depend on Patreon money. It's just It just helps make me feel that what I'm doing is worth my time and that it's appreciated. And then I go on eBay for Digimon toys or some random crap. Um, so please, and I mean this, if you are struggling in any way with money, please don't give me anything because it would be wasted. Um, it is just a nice bonus for me. Please only do so if you if you can. Again, that's a very self-defeating thing to say, but I do really appreciate everything and I wouldn't want someone that is fin- in financial difficulty to give me any money. I would feel dreadful. So I read out the names as they're listed on the Patreon uh, relationship manager. I'm terrible at pronunciations. I apologise. And if you want me to name me by any other name, please tell me privately and I will remember and do so next time. But thank you so much to Nick Coveney, Philip Veloti, I'm sure it's Philippe, I'm, I'm dreadfully sorry, KM, Nathan, Romy Halfweeg, David Jarrett, Andy Jones, Kamal Parlaher, Farfew Giants, Robert Cathels, James Coop, Thomas, Francisco Limas, EMH Richard, Corey Class, Chris Wood, Gregory Phillips, Lee Chapman, Stephen, Andy Robertson, Gregory Kroll, Joe Sheedy and Ryan Winter. Thank you so, so much, whether it's a dollar, three dollars or whatever. Thank you so much for supporting this. Um, genuinely, it's, it's amazing to even get five dollars total from people. It makes it feel like everything I'm doing has some value and some worth. And that even if one person listening to this is interested, that's awesome. So thank you so much. And I will catch you on the next episode with a real person. Bye for now. <laughs>